Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me now to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Picking up where we left off last week, we are in John 11, verses 1 through 16. While you're turning there, it was five years ago, there was an article in the Washington Post called, The Boss Has Heard Them All. It's about all of the excuses that different people give for showing up late for work. Now, it turns out most people stick with the standard excuses. For example, it was traffic. It was the weather. I slept in. Well, it turns out some people are very creative in coming up with reasons for why they did not show up for work on time. One person said, I was there, but I fell asleep in the parking lot. Uh, Another said that they had morning sickness, which would be a pretty good excuse, except for this employee was a man. One person said that a psychic warned about a major accident on the highway, so they took all of the back roads, causing them to be an hour late. One woman said that she was late because, quote, my eyelashes were stuck together. Now, if that's true, I think that's a pretty good excuse. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like God was running late? We know with our minds that God is always, always on time. But honestly, sometimes God just feels like he is delayed. Others are getting married, but not you. Those around you are getting promotions, but you're not. Maybe you have a sickness, and it's taking a lot longer than it's supposed to for you to recover. You're waiting for God to move in some situation, but it just hasn't happened yet. And at some point, you have probably asked the question, God, what are you waiting for? We see something very similar to that in the verses that we're going to read this morning. This is one of the most beloved stories in all of the Bible. We're told that a man named Lazarus who was one of Jesus' best friends, became deathly sick. And Jesus was told, everyone just assumed that Jesus would rush to his side and heal him immediately. But Jesus intentionally delayed. He remained where he was until after Lazarus had died and everyone was wondering why. Why did Jesus delay? Well, it turns out during those delays, God is actually working. God is actively doing things in our lives. And as we read just the first part of this story this morning, we're going to see several things that God is doing oftentimes during those delays. First of all, you're going to see that he's advancing his purposes. He's advancing his purposes. Look at verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his, her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
John begins by setting the stage and preparing the context for this story. In verse 1, John reminds us of this story that we find in Luke chapter 10. You remember that story when Jesus had dinner at the home of Mary and Martha, and Martha was mad at her little sister Mary because Mary was not helping out in the kitchen? Well, John reminds us of that story in verse 1, and then in verse 2, he reminds us of this other story. You remember that time Mary had her alabaster box of expensive perfume, and she broke it at the feet of Jesus? That story is found in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. So John does something very interesting here. Maybe you've read this story many times, but you've never noticed this. In these first two verses, John is actually assuming that most of his readers have already read Matthew, Mark, and Luke because John's gospel was the last of the four written. So John refers to these other stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in order to remind us that Jesus had a very special relationship with this family. There were just a few places where Jesus could go and kick off his sandals, so to speak, and make himself at home. This was one of those places. This was a very special place for Jesus, and yet John reminds us that their home was in Bethany. And Bethany, if you do not know, literally means house of affliction. Affliction has come to their home. He tells us that Lazarus was sick. That Greek word means to be deathly sick. This was not some kind of common cold. And if something did not happen quickly, Lazarus would die. Yes, even Lazarus, even one of Jesus' best friends, even he got sick. Even he suffered. Even he died. God did not promise any of us an exemption from sickness or suffering in this life. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that God makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. So whether or not you know Jesus, whether or not you love God, the sun of God's goodness is going to shine a little bit on your life, but the rains of adversity are also going to fall on your life, and none of us are exempt. But it's because Jesus was so close to this family, they sent a messenger to him. Look at verse 3. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now notice how they worded it. They did not say, the one who loves you is sick. They said, he whom you love is sick. And they didn't even say Lazarus' name because the way they're thinking, Lazarus was so near and dear to Jesus' heart, they didn't even have to say his name. They simply said, he whom you love is sick. It's not that Jesus was forgetful. Jesus did not have to be reminded of how much he loved Lazarus. You understand what these sisters are really implying, right? They're saying, Jesus, if you really love Lazarus, and we know that you do, but if you really love Lazarus, you'll come to Bethany right now 
and heal him. Because of course, that's what Jesus is going to do, right? How many times had Jesus healed strangers? How many times had Jesus healed the multitudes? So of course, he's going to do the same for one of his best friends. It was inconceivable to them that Jesus would do anything else. By the way, be very careful about assuming that you know what God will do in a given situation. Be very careful because the moment you think you've got God figured out, the moment you think you've got God put in some little box is the moment you realize you really don't. They think they know what Jesus is going to do. But look at verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now pay close attention to what Jesus said and how he said it. Jesus did not say, Lazarus will not die. I'm certain that's how his sisters interpreted it. But that's not what he said. He didn't say Lazarus will not die. He said this sickness will not end in death. In other words, death is not going to be the end of the story. But yes, Jesus is going to allow something horrific to happen so that he can use that to advance his purposes. Jesus is going to allow a tragedy to happen so that he can turn the tragedy into a testimony. God always uses the trials that he allows to come into our lives, and God uses those trials to really promote two things. He allows the trials of life in order to promote his glory and our good. And by the way, there is never a conflict between these two things. He's promoting his glory and our good. Notice in verse 4, Jesus does it the way he does it because of the glory of God and that Jesus the Son may be glorified through it. God's glory is simply the manifestation of his power, the manifestation of his character. It's kind of like if you take a diamond ring you take that diamond outside on a bright sunny day and it is glorious. If you take that same diamond and you put it in front of a black velvet cloth and then you put it under a bright light, all of a sudden you can see it in a whole new way. Now it is even more glorious. Likewise, God is himself glorious, but there are glorious things that he will reveal about himself, but he must do so sometimes against the backdrop of pain and suffering in our lives. God uses trials to promote his glory, but also our good. Notice verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, if we were reading this story for the first time, we would get to verse 6, and we would think that it would say, and Jesus, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, immediately rushed to his side and healed him. 
that's not what it says. Jesus heard that he was sick and intentionally remained where he was for two days, two critical days. And the question is, why? Now, we're told the answer to that question in verse before, in verse 5, where it says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Most of you, if you've studied the Bible even for a short amount of time, you have probably learned that this word love in the Bible, in the original language, there's actually more than one word that translates love because there are different kinds of love. It turns out in verse 3, when Mary and Martha reminded Jesus of his love for Lazarus, they used the word phileo, which is that friendship kind of love. That's a great love. But they said, Jesus, the one that you love with that friendship kind of love, is sick. But when we get to verse 5, the word John uses when he says that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus is agapeo, coming from agape. That is the deepest and the greatest kind of love. So do you see where this is going? In verse 3, they know that Jesus loves them, but then in verse 5, Jesus is going to use Lazarus' sickness and Jesus is going to use even his death in order to show them that God actually loves them a whole lot more than they ever, ever imagined. And that's why that word at the beginning of verse 6 is so important, that little two-letter word. So, so Jesus hearing that Lazarus was sick, stayed two days. That's the same word that many times will translate, therefore. Therefore. Now, to us, this really doesn't make sense. Therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he delayed two days in coming. I'm sure Mary and Martha were very confused by this, and we would be as well. I mean, that would be like saying, I love my wife, therefore I forgot her birthday. Really? Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Therefore, he remained where he was. Jesus loved them. Therefore, he did not come to Lazarus. Jesus loved them. Therefore, he did not heal Lazarus. Jesus loved them. Therefore, he didn't even show up for the funeral. Now, this doesn't make sense to us. But the God who loves us knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows what is good for us. He knows what we need. So what do you do during those divine delays in your life? You remember that in those days, God is at work, whether you see it or not whether you know it or not, God is advancing His purposes and everything God is doing and everything God allows in your life is for the purpose of promoting His glory and our good. Now, something else that God is doing in all of this, He's testing our faith. He's testing our faith. Look at verse 7. Then after this, He said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Right about the time when the disciples thought, Whew, we're not going to have to go to Judea. Jesus surprised them. 
And I personally believe that you can see a little bit of Jesus's sense of humor in verse 7, because it's kind of like he's, he's prodding the bear, so to speak. He does not say to them, let's go to Bethany. He doesn't say to them, let's go to Lazarus's house. No, he says, let's go to Judea again. He says, let's go to Judea because they all understood he was a wanted man in Judea. It's as if there were wanted posters all over the place in Judea with his name and with his face on them. And he said, let's go to Judea again because Jesus was just there at the end of John chapter 10. He's there, and what are they doing? They're actively looking for stones so that they can stone him to death. So when Jesus said to the disciples, hey, I've got an idea, let's go to Judea again, that's like saying, I've got an idea, let's jump in the lion's den again. Let's jump into a tank full of hungry sharks again. Well, how did they respond to that? Verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Can I give you the Howard Hardin translation of verse 8? Jesus, are you out of your mind? You want to go back there where they're trying to kill you? Now, the fact that they would even ask this question tells us a little bit about their level of faith. They're so worried that Jesus is going to be stoned to death and that they are going to be stoned with him. Have they forgotten what happened the first time they tried to stone Jesus to death? Or the second time? Or the third time? You realize at this point, they've already tried three times to stone Jesus and failed every single time. What did the disciples think? That he got lucky? They think, well, he, he somehow escaped those first three times, but I don't know. I think this time is going to be different. This time they're really going to get him. These disciples, they've been with Jesus for more than three years at this point, and they still don't get it. They still don't understand that it is not possible for Jesus to ever be in danger. It's not possible. It's not possible for Jesus to be in danger because Jesus is always in control. And even when he died on the cross, he had the power within himself at every single moment to make it stop. And because Jesus is never in danger those whom he holds in his hand are never in danger. Yes, we may suffer. Yes, we go through trials and we go through tribulations. But the child of God is never truly in danger. This is what Jesus is teaching them. So look at verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Of course, in those days, they didn't have street lights. They didn't have illuminated streets at night. And so travelers almost always would travel 
in the day so that they could see where they were going. And travelers basically knew they had, on average, 12 hours to travel, so you had better get wherever you were going before the sunlight ran out. Now, when I read this, I'm reminded of a trip my family took this past summer, and uh, we were in the Smoky Mountains. My sons and I decided to go on a trail. We summited Mount Lacan. It's like the tallest uh, mountain in the Smoky Mountains. But this was a 12-mile trail, and this trail that we decided to take on the way back down was very, very rocky. Even though we were descending, you had to watch your step, every step you took, and as a result, it was taking a lot longer than we had planned to come down this mountain on this trail, and after a while, it was getting darker, and this dad was starting to get worried that maybe we were going to get stuck on this trail in a bear-infested forest in the middle of the night we didn't plan on any night hiking we didn't bring any flashlights praise the lord we got to our destination with just a little bit of daylight left well it was in this sense that jesus said if someone walks in the day he will not stumble but if one walks in the dark he will stumble what's the point of this illustration the point is, just like that hiker who knows that he has a limited amount of time, a limited amount of daylight to get where he needs to be, likewise, Jesus knew that he had a limited amount of daylight. He had a limited amount of time to do the work that his father had given him to do. Soon his hour would come. Soon he would die upon the cross. But until that time came, he knew that no one and nothing could touch him. And as long as the disciples were with Jesus, who is himself the light of the world, they had nothing to fear. It's kind of like Jesus was saying, you guys are so worried about what will happen if you walk in the light, if you follow me. You should be worried about what will happen if you walk in the dark, if you are not following me. Now, maybe that's where some of you are this morning. You are walking through life in the dark without the light of Christ to guide you. And as a result, you are needlessly stepping in holes and you are needlessly tripping over obstacles and you're needlessly going through all kinds of hurt and pain and regret. Why? Because spiritually you have chosen to walk in the dark. But when you walk in the light of Christ, you don't have to worry you don't have to fear, and you don't have to say, what if I stumble? What if I fall? So Jesus uses this illustration of, of walking in the light to encourage them so they will not fear. Now, did he convince them? Did they get the point? Look at verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Oh, 
Thomas. He's so close. When we read verse 16, at one moment we want to say amen, and then at the very next moment we want to say, oh no. He says, let us go with Christ, amen, so that we can die with him. Oh no. He was so close. A lot of people will criticize Thomas for this, and that's understandable. This is not the only time, and this is not the last time that Thomas doubts. He's got that nickname, Doubting Thomas, for a reason. But can I just point out to you, there are two sides to this coin. There are two sides to this coin. Yes, Thomas lacked faith. Yes, Thomas was absolutely certain that if they went to Judea, they were all going to get killed. But he followed Jesus anyway. Let's give him a little bit of credit for that, why don't we? He believes in his heart that Jesus, following Jesus, is going to get him killed. But then he says, Jesus, wherever you lead, I'll go. He placed his faith, what faith he had in Christ, at least this time. You know, many times in our lives, God seems to be delayed, and we don't understand what he's doing. What he's doing is he's strengthening our faith. He's inviting us to trust him so that he can carry us to that next level of faith. And sometimes we're going to be like Thomas, and we're going to have to say, I don't get it. I don't understand. I still have questions. But then we follow that with, still will I follow Jesus. So what is God doing during these delays? He's advancing his purposes. He's testing our faith. But also, he's teaching us something new. He's teaching us something new. Go back to verse 7. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Now, there are actually several lessons that Jesus is going to teach the disciples in John chapter 11, but chief among them is a lesson about death. Jesus knew that Lazarus had died, and he's going to break the news to the disciples. But notice how he does it. He said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. I'm going to wake him up. And of course, the disciples, they took him literally. I wonder if Jesus rolled his eyes as if Jesus is going to walk 20 miles just to wake up a sick person from their nap. Really? No, Jesus is not talking about literal sleep. He's talking about death. So why didn't he say so? Because he didn't like that word. He didn't like to use that word. Jesus tried to avoid the word death. Why? Because he knew something about it that we should know. He knew how woefully inadequate that word death is in order to describe what happens when a saved person breathes their last breath and passes from this life on earth. 
And so instead of saying Lazarus died, Jesus said Lazarus is asleep. We're not sure how long this conversation went on, this misunderstanding, but eventually in verse 14, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Boy, it doesn't get more plain than that, does it? Lazarus is dead. He said the words only after the disciples continued to misunderstand what he was saying. Did he finally relent? He finally gave in and he spoke those words. He didn't want to say it, but for their sake, so that they would understand, he said it. Lazarus is dead. Jesus preferred the word sleep to death, and there are probably numerous reasons for that. Sleep gives rest to our bodies. For the Christian, sleep or death gives rest to our souls. When we sleep, we lie down, but then we awaken. And when the believer dies, we awaken in the sense that we will rise again. Death is hideous. It's ugly. Death is part of this curse of sin that has fallen upon this world. And yet, for the child of God, death is just a portal through which we pass that ushers us directly into the presence of God. And this is what Jesus is teaching them. Now, we'll continue this story next Sunday, Lord willing. But I want you to notice something where this is going. This is not the first time that Jesus he raises the dead in his earthly ministry. We know, for example, that Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. But in that case, she had just died. We also know that Jesus raised from the dead the widow's daughter, the widow of Nain. But in that case, he hadn't yet been buried. And so what Jesus is going to do in order to teach them this lesson, he's going to give them a situation that is even more hopeless And this time, he's going to perform an even greater miracle. That's why everything Jesus did in this passage was absolutely necessary. It was necessary for Jesus to delay until after Lazarus had died. It was necessary for Jesus to wait until after Lazarus had been buried. And it was necessary for Jesus to wait even until his body had begun to decompose so that they would finally learn that lesson that we're going to get to next Sunday when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus waited. He delayed in coming to Bethany and he allowed his friend to suffer and die because there were lessons that his followers needed to learn that they just were not going to learn any other way. And if Jesus had done what Mary and Martha wanted him to do, if he had done what his disciples had wanted him to do, they would have never learned what God wanted to teach them. Sometimes it may seem like God is running late. It may seem like God is delayed. 
But God's always at work. He's advancing His purposes. He's strengthening our faith. He's teaching us. So, when it seems like God is delayed, listen, don't you delay. Don't delay in trusting Him. Don't delay in coming to Christ. Don't delay in obeying. Don't delay in doing what God has called you to do. If God is waiting for you this morning, don't delay. Do you join me as we pray? God, we thank you for this story and how it does encourage us to know that you really do cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. That you take and you use even the tragedies of life and you turn them around for your glory and for our good. And you use them, Lord, to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith, to teach us. Sometimes, God, we don't see it. Sometimes, God, we get impatient. Forgive us of that. Help us, especially in these moments, to be willing to wait on you no matter how long the waiting may last. And Father, I pray for those who perhaps are still considering the claims of Christ, those who at this moment are not followers of Jesus. I pray, God, that they would not delay, not a day more, not an hour more, not a minute more, but right here and right now that they would say, yes, I will follow Jesus. Even like doubting Thomas, who was willing to follow Jesus. He he thought it was going to get him killed right then and there. But he said, I'm going to follow. I pray that would be our attitude, our response today. Jesus, we will follow you wherever you lead. Whatever it means, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, we will follow you. And if there's anybody, God, God here who today needs to make that decision to follow Christ for the very first time, Just pray that you'd knock on the door of their hearts, that they would not delay in following Jesus. And we pray all of these things in his name.